Hello, everyone, and thanks for giving us your time today for VR Download. Each week, we meet in VR using the latest tech to discuss the next generation of personal computing. My name is Ian Hamilton. I'm in the United States, joined by David Heaney in Northern Ireland. VR brings us together into this broadcast studio where we've got multiple automatic cameras, a TV to show stuff to our viewers, and we can see live comments on our tablets. We syndicate VR Download out to all podcast platforms and encourage our audience to become Upload VR members. This week, we're sponsored by Veil VR, which just released in early access on Steam. It's a first-person shooter with immersive physics, full-body animations, and skins. You can climb, vault, ride zip lines, and defy gravity on jump pads to achieve victory in this 5v5 competitive shooter. Heaney, what do we have today? Today we're going to talk about Valve removing the VR support sidebar from Steam store pages and what the developer response has been to that. We're going to talk about Samsung reportedly planning to send out an AR VR headset to developers next year. Quest 2 and Quest Pro finally being officially sold in Germany. Quest Pro controllers now supporting Quest 2. And finally, PlayStation VR 2 pre-orders opening to everyone with no invitation now needed. Yeah, this first subject here with Valve moving VR support out of the sidebar, I think that's a pretty significant move. Some devs are very upset about it. Some users, I think, are pretty upset about it, too. And I've got some broader thoughts to, to take this news in a couple directions after you, you get through it, Heaney. But why don't you recap for our audience there what's going on here? Yeah, so until now, on the side of a Steam store page for a game that supports VR, you would have seen this old interface that shows the headset supported, the type of input, be it track controllers or game pads or mouse and keyboard, as well as the supported play area sizes. So some games, for example, can only be played in room scale. You need to have a proper 2 by 2 meter at minimum space. Some games only work on specific headsets, and some only require certain input. Valve has replaced this with simply a new tag in the general features list called Tracked Motion Controller Support. Valve has said to developers and to users that the new place to indicate support for a specific VR system or input device or play area is down in the system requirements. If you're a Steam user, you'll be familiar with the fact that under every game is the system requirements showing what you know CPU and RAM and storage and GPU is needed or recommended to play the game. So that means that some of this key information is now buried under there in a place that most buyers probably won't actually be looking at. And it kind of puts the onus on developers to support any possible VR headset if they've indicated support. Developers are obviously annoyed about this because this means that they're going to get refunds and complaints from users that weren't able to search into those system requirements to find some of these things. So this is not like an accidental change. Valve confirmed in a tweet that this is an intentional change. And yeah, it's certainly perplexing to say the least. Hi, Alyssa from Colorado. And I think it was Matthew up, up at the top from Canada asking about whether we think Half-Life Alex PSVR 2 port is less likely given the Valve deck art seeming seeming to become more real. So Valve has a couple things going on here. OpenXR is something that they were sort of first at the gate to signal to everyone that they're going to support. And this seems to me like a natural evolution of maybe changing this out to say, okay, if you have tracked motion controller support, it supports OpenXR. I assume that's the way it's going to operate. 
Yeah, but that's not really what it is in practice. You know, vast majority of VR content on Steam is not using OpenXR. And even if it is, developers will still be tailoring their game around different headsets, but specifically different track controllers. There's a very different thing to have a game from 2016 that supports those Vive ones compared to a game from today that supports the kind of touch-like controllers that are in the market today. Developers are going to make the choice of whether to support these things. And by Valve just categorizing this into one one tag, it means that they're taking that choice rather than giving it to developers. The criticism of this old VR support tab is that it only had these four headsets. And obviously that's not representative of the market today. Oculus Rift isn't even the Oculus or Meta headset that most people use. You were meant to kind of just infer that when a game said Oculus Rift, it meant all Oculus headsets, including Quest and Quest 2 and Rift S. So there there could have been a way where Valve updated this to give developers more control about putting specific headsets. If you really wanted to, to push this idea that any VR game on Steam should support any headset, which is controversial, but Valve could push that, then you could take this part away and just leave it down to which input devices and play areas it supports. But to take this away completely, what is the exact purpose of that? Why why take it away? What is it really removing for it to be there? Well, so th- this is where I want to take the conversation in a couple directions here and I'll try to circle back to that question right at the top of our comments here but we just had our upload VR showcase winter showcase and we premiered this project called game room and it's launching very very soon and it basically modifies flat screen games you can map controls onto your motion controllers your track motion controllers in VR and then interact in theoretically in more immersive ways in traditional games. So if you've got a sword in a game, you could hypothetically map that sword on a 2D game into a sword swing in VR. And there's a lot of opportunity there to kind of have a almost in VR game, even though it's on a flat screen. And there's been this whole conversation happening with Tim Sweeney, the head of Epic Games, confirming that there's no plans for Fortnite VR and a lot of discussion about how important locomotion is, full locomotion is, the ability to just move really fast. And Sweeney taking this position that games where you can move in a lot of different directions very quickly are just better than games where you can't do that. And VR being at a disadvantage because of how sick you can make it. And then there's this system level thing we've come back to again and again. And there's another sort of utility out there that I've seen floating around where it will vignette almost any VR game. And you can adjust the vignette in a lot of different ways over on Steam. And I'm thinking between these two tools and tools like Virtual Desktop, I wonder if Guy Godin is in our comments today, you have a way, you know, it's a completely different world from where we were in the 2016 time period, where you could theoretically bring in a lot more content into VR that wasn't specifically designed for VR from the outset. I bring this up because there's just so many mods out there to add VR to traditional games like Games that were never intended for VR are being played in VR by quite a large number of people. And in some cases, like Grand Theft Auto, a lot of people are playing those things in this modded way. Steam has to evolve in a way to account for a lot of those things, in my opinion. And circling back to that question of Half-Life Alex being this built from the ground up for VR experience that's so amazing, 
but it's not the same as Fortnite, right? You're not flying around everywhere at the same speed you do in some other first-person shooters. I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. To go directly to Matthew's question, right? They could release Half-Life Alex on PSVR's storefront and also try to get it onto a standalone system. But you've been pointing out just how hard it would be to get a game like Half-Life Alex into standalone. My you know, Steam is a very, very big platform. How does it evolve to account for everything I just outlined there? So it's important to note that Valve kind of takes this approach already when it comes to VR games. I, I, I would push back at the idea that playing something on a virtual screen in front of you in virtual desktop or through this game room is bringing something into VR. It's bringing the screen that you play it on into VR, but it's not bringing the game itself into a VR environment. But what Valve does and what they're perhaps trying to push more with this is give you this Steam VR input mapping system where theoretically you can use any Steam VR controller with any game by just manually you yourself or by choosing someone else's input profile they've already made and shared on Steam choosing this input mapping system. So even if your controller is vastly different from the controller that the game was built for, you can then get it set up. That's The problem is that that's very far from a plug-and-play solution, and it's the exact opposite of what players will expect on something like PlayStation VR or on Quest, where the game is designed specifically for your hardware. But yeah, it's clear that that is what Valve wants from Steam here. They want systems and community-supported community-shared solutions rather than some kind of ever-expanding tick box of headsets that are supported and trying to ask developers to support everything. And yes, OpenXR is going to be a huge part of that from the API layer into making sure that a game supports different types of hardware. But at the end of the day, it's never going to feel the same as a game that was specifically designed around your own hardware and the controllers you're actually holding in your hand. Yeah, and, and Clay is saying most U- VR users have no clue how to use third-party tools to mod games. It needs to be done for them. And Onakazi teasing me about uh, jumping between five different conversations, and I absolutely did. But this is where I'm coming back to things like Half-Life 2 being modded to VR, right? Arguably, that was one of the biggest PC VR releases of the year, and it was a community-oriented thing brought into VR. And I don't know that this category system appropriately advertises that you can do that, like to to exactly what Clay is saying, right? Like, how does Steam make clear that you can play Half-Life 2 in VR with this community mod tool? And how do they show the community mod tool relative to built from the ground up for VR games? And you're right, Heaney, it won't necessarily feel the same, but there's plenty of people out there who just really want that immersive experience. Well, as, as far as I'm aware, that the Half-Life 2 VR mod is its own kind of store page, like many other mods uh, are able to do. So they will still have a VR support section like this. And if they don't support, for example, Windows Mixed Reality, all that removing this is going to do, and to be clear, I'm using that as an example, I'm not sure what they support. All that removing this would do is mean that people who did have Windows Mixed Reality will kind of buy it and figure out after the fact that, it needs to be the purpose of a store page is to communicate to a potential buyer what the game is and whether it actually supports their hardware. Yes, there's all of these tools and solutions to make it support, but the majority of people, as one of our commenters pointed out, Clay pointed out, will never use all of these sort of tools. The majority of people just want to buy a game, install it, 
press play, put on their headset and controllers and play the game. They don't want to jump through all these different hoops of community support and input mapping just to make it work. I totally get that. But uh, let's go back to Steam Deck and what Steam Deck has brought to the table, right? So Valve went through and manually labeled uh, a large amount of content or maybe all of the content, I'm not sure, in the Steam library to say whether they verified it works on Steam Deck or whether it's not verified or whether it's confirmed as unsupported, right? I would imagine that same thing to happen for a Deckard standalone, for a standalone Valve headset. They would go through and manually label it for themselves. And that's where I come to things like Half-Life 2 with the VR mod, right? If that gets labeled by Valve as being compatible with a Deckard standalone, then you've solved Clay's problem here that most VR users have no clue how to use third-party tools. Valve is just pointing out that you installed this mod and it's now green on the Deckard standalone. Yeah, but that would require bringing back a VR support tab that is almost very similar to this because what some of the VR developers complained about with this change is that there is already a Steam Deck support tab on the side of these store pages, as you're pointing out, where Valve has gone through and said which games are fully supported and which games are partially supported. All the VR developers are asking is the ability to have the exact same thing for VR so that they can indicate to potential buyers whether it will or will not work on their hardware. Maybe this is part of a plan that when Deckard comes out, there will be a similar style VR support tab that says, does this work on standalone VR, Deckard, and any other future headsets, or does this work on PC VR? And, but it's, it's still going to miss what VR developers are asking for. For example, there's a developer of Eye of the Temple, a game that physically requires a room-scale space, and they can no longer indicate on the side of their store page that it requires a room-scale space. And they've said they're already getting negative reviews from users that buy this game with their headset, thinking that, you know, this is a VR game, it's on Steam, there's nothing on the sidebar that tells me that it doesn't work on my headset and play space, I'm going to buy it. They pay with their PayPal, they open the game, and it doesn't work. I, I, I totally get it. I guess I'm just removing this section to me is a sign that they're moving towards standalone, is my argument. And I'm seeing the comment here from Wabo saying that I am stretching the definition of compatibility. Going back to something you said there, Heaney, where you talked about it works on standalone or it works on PC. Steam Deck is a PC. Valve has been absolutely clear that you could install Windows on this PC. You could do everything you can with a PC with this Steam Deck. I would assume they're going to take a similar approach with standalone VR. How do you feel about that? So the reason that the Steam Deck is a PC idea works is that Steam Deck runs at something like 800p. It's close to 720p resolution. So you can play any game on Steam because instead of running it at a 1080p monitor or a 4K monitor, you're running it at half of the pixels of 1080p, therefore lower power hardware can still drive the same level of experience because there are far fewer pixels required. The problem is that this equation doesn't work in VR because you're actually doing the opposite. You're running, assuming this is going to have a much higher resolution than Valve Index, which is now over three years old, it's going to be higher resolution at potentially the same or higher refresh rate. But yet, instead of being run by a 400 watt graphics card, it's going to be run by a five watt system on chip that's right beside your head running on a battery. So you can't you can't just say that any game that runs on PC will run on 
a standalone headset. The whole point when Quest launched, developers had to spend months of really arduous, difficult work to optimize even these graphically simple games like Space Pirate Trainer and Superhot and Beat Saber to get them to run on a mobile chip. Unless Deckard is going to break the laws of physics, it's going to run into the exact same problem where developers are still going to need to release these completely separate, highly optimized versions of their games to get it to work. And Valve mm-hmm. is going to have to either have some sort of really great compatibility indicator or basically have a separate Steam store or a separate section of Steam store specifically for games that will run on Deckard without a PC. Mm, well, I guess... Let's go full circle to this compatibility question of would you expect all games that are compatible with Steam Deck to be playable in 2D on a Valve standalone? Only if the resolution was low enough because you're then you're not just rendering the game, you're still adding the extra overhead of having to render yourself in a virtual environment that's running at, you know, 90 frames per second, render your hands in front of you, render that texture there is an overhead involved in doing all that that means that it will have to be more powerful than the Steam Deck, which is, if anyone hasn't held one, it is a hefty thing. This is not like a Switch or a PSP or a Nintendo DS. This is a massive, hefty thing that would be very difficult to fit in a headset on your head running a full-scale x86 chip. I would expect that a Steam standalone, a Deckard standalone headset would still be running the same kind of Qualcomm chip that you see in a Quest 2 or a Quest Pro or, you know, maybe down the line of Quest 3. So unless it's going to be running on low resolution, I don't know if that's going to be something that's possible other than for graphically simplistic games. But I obviously expect they will have a streaming system built in so that just like on a just like when you're using Steam streaming to your TV or just like when you're using uh, their old streaming box, you can play these games rendered from your PC onto a virtual screen in front of you. Hmm. Lots of lots of things to consider there. I think we'll probably circle back to this subject as we go on. Uh, and you know, in my defense to Onakazi, yeah, I think this is this is getting at the core of where VR is evolving in the next year. Paradise Decay pointing out the Steam Deck is great, but it gets hot playing normal games. You can't see it handling VR. Yeah, the Steam Deck is big device with powerful cooling using a full-scale x86 chip, the kind you would find in a gaming laptop. So the idea that this is going to somehow fit into a headset and then the added overhead of all that higher extra resolution and high refresh rate, it just doesn't seem possible within the laws of physics for now. I wanted to say thank you to Vail VR again for their sponsorship. Vail VR was built from the ground up to support competitive integrity. That includes standardizing player height to prevent play-space cheats, trusting that every match will be competitive and fair. It's available now on Steam, and their next eSports tournament starts in January, so get ready. Yeah, so I think we'll come back to that. And there were a couple other comments I think I'll try to get to as we move into our next subjects. But let's talk about Samsung reportedly planning a headset for developers next year. Heaney, what do we know about this? And why don't you bring us up to speed on everything that Samsung has done? So we really don't know much about this at all. This is a report from the Electronic Times, which is a South Korean news outlet. And they are reporting that Samsung has already built prototypes and is testing samples for production. But unlike what a lot of other companies are doing, Samsung is reportedly not going directly to market with this. They are first going to send out 
plenty of devices to developers to create a market by creating an ecosystem rather than hastily launching products. That's a direct quote from the report. So what they seem to be suggesting is that Samsung is going to first try and build up content and unique experiences, and then once they have all that ready, launch it out to consumers, rather than just going with the approach of trying to port over, presumably, Quest and other system content. As we know, Samsung has been in the VR market for quite a while. They arguably launched what the first consumer VR headset with Samsung Gear VR, the partnership with Oculus back in 2014. That was the first headset that had a serious SDK and a serious store of actual content that people were actually buying and using rather than just as a quick kind of testing novelty like Google Cardboard. Uh, Samsung obviously also built the Odyssey mixed reality or Windows mixed reality headset, which was despite the name of VR headset for PCs in a partnership with Microsoft. And then they followed that up with Odyssey Plus. But since then, Samsung really hasn't been involved at all in the VR market. There were obviously rumors that they were going to launch a third generation Odyssey headset. And, you know, there were leaks of it going through the Chinese regulators with this very weird bug eye design back two years ago. But that headset never saw the light of day. It was obviously something they maybe explored, but never actually reached there. So Samsung obviously being one of the biggest consumer electronic companies in the world, having this direct access to their own chip maker, to their own display division that is the world leader in small OLED displays. They really could pull off something great here, but it will come down to software, which has always been, you know, in, in my view, this is just a personal opinion, the weakest aspect of Samsung's devices. They've always been producing, when it comes to their tablets and their phones and their smart speakers, some really fantastic hardware, but with some really mediocre software. And I would describe Samsung as very much so a hardware first company. So they're going to have to put in a lot of effort if they want to compete with these software first companies like Meta and ByteDance. So I don't think there's anything else we can really say about this headset unless anyone has any specific questions. We just don't know anything yet. Samsung, there have been so many rumors over the years of Samsung finally jumping in with something that they truly made, not just a partnership with Oculus or Microsoft, but it's just going to be waiting for that time where Samsung executives believe that it makes sense to invest the billions of dollars it would take to really enter this market. And whether that's next year or the year after or the year after that, we just don't know. So I asked you that question before we came in here. Yeah, I'll ask this question uh, to you on the show, though. Is there any reason for a partnership with Samsung and another company at this point, right? So Samsung partnered with Oculus for Gear VR. They partnered with Microsoft for the Odyssey. Was there any reason for Valve and Samsung to team up as they built out these platforms? Because it's it's just hard for me to imagine Samsung building up a platform all on its own. So Samsung for a while did try to build out its own software platform with Tizen, the operating system it developed itself. And there have actually been reports in recent years that, that Samsung is working with Microsoft, where Microsoft would be the software provider again, but in a standalone system, not a uh, PC-based system. Microsoft's recent partnership with Meta and some of the recent reports about the utter chaos and sort of collapse of their own internal mixed reality ambitions suggests to me that that probably won't pan out. But where Samsung could partner if they want a great software company to work with them is, again, with Google. We know that in recent years, Samsung and Google's partnership has gotten a lot tighter as Google realizes that you know they don't want Samsung to go off and build their own Tizen 
OS. Samsung realized that their Tizen OS was never really going to tr- meaningfully compete with Google anyway. And Google is obviously being reported to be working on their own Project Iris mixed reality headset for 2024. So just as in recent years, Samsung has worked very closely with Google to develop Android for foldable phones, phones with, you know, uh, that fold out into tablets and have another screen on the other side. It's possible that Samsung could work with Google on improving Android's VR support and being a kind of third-party alternative to Project Iris. That's where I see that kind of those partnerships being possible. Valve and Samsung, I couldn't personally see happening. Valve has built up their own hardware capability in recent years. I think they've Valve's been a little bit scarred about working with other partners. You saw with what happened with HTC and Vive. You saw what happened before with Steam Machines, where they tried to develop this home console, where instead of just having a Steam Machine from Valve, they partnered with all of these different hardware companies. And the problem with partnering with a hardware company is that the hardware company then has to make its own margin. You can't do this sell-at-cost strategy that we're seeing very likely with the, the base model Steam Deck and that we're seeing with other first-party devices like maybe Google's uh, lower-end Pixel A models. If you're giving a hardware partner the ability to kind of make their own margin there, I'd, I expect that Deckard will very much so be a first-party product from Valve. Yeah, so I'm seeing Dunadame saying, I don't think he will be in the chat today. Any comments from Upload VR in the latest virtual desktop patch notes? So... Yeah, he made a little bit of a splash there with his latest patch notes for virtual desktop, which requires an internet connection now. The 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 sorry, go ahead, Heaney. Well, I think he's probably referring to the the fact that it's improved PC performance by twenty percent, and that's something that we definitely do plan to cover. Yes. Well, all right. Well, we'll see. We'll see if which of the updates he was asking us to address. It's hard to talk about this, but. Piracy is a very big issue for the Quest ecosystem. And even talking about piracy on Quest could bring more attention to the fact that there is piracy on Quest. It was shown to me that there is quite a large community out there of people who are pirating apps. And that puts devs in a very difficult situation where they have to figure out how to address those situations, how to address piracy, and whether on a platform level Meta can do anything to stop those pirates in a way that's you know, not going to be problematic for some of their users. I think back to Xbox saying that they were going to have an always-on internet connection and then just getting destroyed across the internet within a couple of days, completely backtracking on that requirement. There's plenty of people out there that want to be able to use their devices without an internet connection. Well, I'm curious if that was what you were asking about or whether you were asking about Heaney's question. I would push back on very big. I, I Even if a lot of people are doing it relative to something like the size of a Discord, how many of the roughly 15 million Quest owners are actually doing that? To me, the fact that Meta isn't clamping down on it suggests it's really not a problem that is probably even measurable on the grand scheme of things. If it did become a very big problem where an actual sizable percentage of Quest users were pirating their games, then you would see some sort of DRM system come in there. But again, the fact that you can't use these pirated games in multiplayer, for example, makes it useless for some of the most popular apps on Quest. If you look at what people are most playing, it's not the single-player games that people are pirating. It's the multiplayer games that you can't play when you're pirating them at all. Yeah, we'll have to find a way to address it and talk about piracy more. I do think it's a significant dent in some devs' revenue and and 
Uh, yeah. Based on what? I, what what statistics would make you think that? Well, I mean, just given the size of some of the communities that I saw out there, it feels like it's a lot going on. So we'll have to, I don't know, we'll have to figure out how to talk about it because, you know, it's something that is happening. And I guess the the reason I'm just focusing on that a little bit is people making a fuss over this sort of thing. I've seen this happen in various arguments on the internet where people argue for the innocuous use of a feature when really they're the people who are abusing the feature and they're they're a wolf in sheep's clothing trying to pretend that they're actually using it in the genuine way when they're actually using it in a not so genuine way. And I you know, I'm seeing people trying to we've had it in our inbox a couple of times where people are trying to get us to pay more attention to what's going on here. And I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to figure out how to cover this. I've seen some of the discords you're talking about. I still think that seems big for a discord. But again, of the 15 million people who bought a Quest 2, it's statistically insignificant. There's always going to be people across all different gaming platforms and music and TV that are pirating things. In most cases, these are people who probably wouldn't have bought the games in the first place. So it's arguably not really a dent in said developers' revenues if those people just simply were never going to buy it in the first place. They were just going to play free games otherwise. And again, if there is a problem in a wider... A company like Meta would have no qualms with implementing some sort of DRM system that can check APKs for similarity to protected store contents. The studies that have been done in the past on gaming piracy and on video piracy and on music piracy shows that the kind of people that do it were very, very rarely ever going to buy the game in the first place or the content in the first place. They're doing this because they don't have the means or the will to actually purchase the content. So I, even if you do look at the size of it and even if it was significant, that's not necessarily a dent to revenue. It's revenue that may or may not have been there in the first place had there been no piracy. There's varying opinions in our comments here, but Bicycle, I want to call out their comment here. It seems to me like virtual desktop requiring an internet connection at startup is such a non-issue, in my opinion. Are people really upset about this? And that's that goes to what I was saying, where it's, it's hard to take some criticisms at face value because of the piracy element there that could be hidden behind a lot of the complaints. So are we ready to move on to the next subject or any comments that you want to respond to, Heaney? Yeah, no, I think we can move on to talk about that Germany entry for Meta. Yeah, so Quest 2 and Quest Pro are finally officially being sold in Germany. That's more than two years after Meta stopped selling VR headsets in that country. What changed there, Hini? So the original pushback from German regulators was that Meta headsets just before the launch of Quest 2 required a Facebook social media account to use. And that was obviously incredibly controversial, but it went against uh, what these German regulators uh, thought was appropriate. The, The headsets were never actually banned from the German market, it's important to note, but they had initiated abuse proceedings against Meta. And obviously, until that was all sorted out, Meta didn't want to risk launching a product that could then be removed from the market because it's a lot bigger and more negative of a news story for your product to enter a market and then be removed from it than for you to simply never start selling there in the first place. But now that since August, the Quest 2 and Meta headsets in general no longer require a Facebook account, the German FCO said, and I quote, 
Meta has responded to our concerns and offered a solution by creating a separate Meta account for using the Quest. And so as of this month, Quest 2 is finally being sold in Germany and Quest Pro is now being sold there too. But as we noted when we talked about this last time, when it was something that was being announced for future, the German FCO, their federal cartel office, has not actually finished their investigation of Meta. They are still looking into how data is shared between the different elements of the company. So when you're using a Quest, they're trying to see how much of that data is then being shared to the other aspects of Meta, like Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp. And until that's concluded, uh, Meta is still not completely in the green in Germany, but their products are now sold. Yeah, and that is obviously a market that Pico targeted, right? So uh, that is going to be an interesting measure of success there for each of those platforms. Who who sort of comes out on top in Germany is going to be an interesting thing to watch. Any comments there that you want to respond to? Uh we just uh, people coming back on that piracy discussion again. Some people saying uh, they're games that aren't allowed in certain countries that aren't even available that people are pirating. Some people are saying that uh, in the early stages of many platforms, piracy was a huge issue. For example, Windows was pirated to hell, uh, the coolness cat said. And yeah, a lot of people still talking about that. But I think, yeah, it is a good point to bring up that Pico has heavily focused on Germany as they've obviously made Europe their kind of flagship Western launch region and they're not actually available in North America. So it'll be really interesting to have a look at the Amazon Germany top sellers list and see where is Pico and where is Quest 2 and where is Quest Pro. And then over time, kind of talk to the German VR community and see what are people there preferring overall. Hmm. All right, let's move on to the next subject. Uh, Heaney, are you ready? Yeah, EP Play is saying, why not show sales figures? If they had signs saying 21 million sold, more people will be thinking it's mainstream. What's the benefit? That is a great point. We have been asking these companies to release sales figures for a very long time. I'd like to shout out Sony for being the only company that does release VR headset sales figures throughout the life cycle of PlayStation VR. They specifically said in millions in exact amounts, how many headsets were sold. I would love to see the same from Meta and Pico. But for Meta, they seem to be more concerned about the store. To them, Quest, for now, is not really the product, the headset itself. It's the store. Because they're not making any serious profit or likely any meaningful profit at all on the sales of something like Quest 2. They're making your money when you start to buy games on the store and that's why they always talk about how many billions have been spent overall and how many developers have made more than 10 million so i expect those are the figures we'll be getting for quite a while unfortunately yeah i think it was it was steve jobs who i think back in the day there was a quote floating around attributed to him saying something to the effect of when you're in the lead that's when you reveal numbers and i think something something similar to that came out of meta so we'll be curious to see whether We'll get those at some point. Well, we do have Key Godin popping into our comments. Thank you for joining us today. I will read out some of that discussion as we go through the show. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's pretty inarguable that Meta are in the lead, though. It's, I don't think anyone would say that there's any other in VR company that sold more headsets than Meta, but it still doesn't mean they're going to release those figures yet. I don't think it's because it's, it's not selling well. I think it's just they don't see that as being the meaningful figure yet. They say... You know, it doesn't matter how many people have headsets if you're a developer. It matters how many people are actually buying games on the store for that headset. If you had headset A 
that had twice as many units out there as headset B, but on headset B, people were buying twice as many games. As a developer, you would target headset B because people are actually going to buy your game. So as much as I would love to see those sales figures, and I would obviously love to see more specifically active users figures, how many people are actively using their quest every week, every day, every month, I doubt we're going to get that anytime soon. Yeah, I do wonder if we might get there in the Quest 3 time frame. Uh, if they're able to drop that price low enough, and like we've alluded to multiple times, if there's eight game studios that Meta has acquired, all fire on all cylinders with games for that new headset, combined with all the things that Meta is likely to invest to bring into VR, we've heard of things like, what is it, Assassin's Creed, and we know Grand Theft Auto is in the works. If those things just join a lot of other big name titles coming in the Quest 3 timeframe, they could be looking at a much larger market than they were even able to achieve with Quest 2. And I think that's when you start getting into numbers that they might be proud to talk about. Lots of discussion here, and let's recap some of this stuff with Guy real quick. Guy saying there's a lot of misinformation out there. There isn't any new phone home mechanism in place. Only local fallback was removed because it was being exploited. And I saw another comment here that, you know, Wolveraza, I might have missed some of the context of why you're bringing this up, but bickering in the VR community over small things when the entire industry can get set back at any time over any issue. 30 years I've seen this industry get set back multiple times. We can help or hurt VR. I think that's a very broad, interesting comment about just the larger picture about VR. And the bickering does get absolutely exhausting, doesn't it, Heaney? Yeah, but I push back against the idea that any kind of bickering is going to take out the VR industry this time, or that VR today is in any way comparable to where it was in any decade. VR was a niche technology for hack hackers and hobbyists for those decades. You had at most a couple of thousand people that were using anything that could be described as VR. Whereas today you have north of 10 million people using this in as a real consumer product where people are really buying $30, $40 games and playing them on a constant basis and you have this entire ecosystem of developers who are releasing not only a game but then a sequel to a game that they can then fund and then go and make another game again it's just not comparable vr today is not in any way some sort of house of cards that is going to be taken down by any minor concerns it is on its own trajectory and while yes the bickering is obviously annoying and it obviously doesn't do anything productive it's not going to take out the industry Andrew Tech saying, this is why I said it would be crossing the line, this is referring to virtual desktop, if that was present on the PC app. I don't know enough about what has been done here. I don't trust any individual enough to let their code call home. Yeah, that's a very interesting comment there, and I apologize if I misconstrued the change at the beginning of this discussion. Guy, if you want to clarify in our comments exactly what the changes are here and how that affects, I'd be happy to read out your comments. But I do know that Guy, as a developer, has been pretty opposed to any tracking or in his app whatsoever. So he does not take user logs, or at least he said he doesn't take user logs based on what's in his app, as part of you know what Andrew is saying there, that he doesn't trust people, and I think very much so Guy tries to, to serve those types of customers. Are we ready to move on to the Quest Pro controllers? Yep, I think we can. That is 
for anyone not aware, the Quest Pro's controllers, those Touch Pro controllers, can now be used with Quest 2. So as long as your Quest 2 headset is updated to version 47, the latest version that dropped last week, you can just go into the mobile app and pair these controllers to Quest 2. They are sold by Meta for $300, and that $300 includes a charging dock for the controllers because unlike the Quest 2 controllers, these do not have AA removable batteries. They have built-in rechargeable batteries that charge via pogo pins, normally to the dock that comes with Quest Pro. But if you're buying them separately, you get this little portable charging dock. And a neat little feature that not a lot of people know about is that it also has a USB-C out port. So you can actually charge your Quest 2 from this same charging dock but via a little cable if you just bring the cable out from here. I've been blown away by these controllers, right? I've thought they represent an incredible add-on to the Quest 2, a dramatic change to the overall experience, and I absolutely adore them on Quest Pro. Sherzad asking this question, and thank you for the donation, did tracking on a Pro get worse post-updates? Heaney, have you noticed any change to the tracking? No, I haven't noticed it being any better or worse. I haven't noticed any difference at all to the tracking. Though I guess I will say that like, you know, any update with with Meta can be a mixed bag, right? Can affect people differently. It's usually like two steps forward, one step back with some of their updates. Yeah, although what I would say is a lot of the time if you look on Reddit and Twitter and even if you're in VR chat or Horizon or Rec Room, you'd be surprised how many people's tracking issue turns out to be that the cameras have something on them. So if you just take that same lens cloth you got with the Quest Pro and wipe your tracking cameras, you'd be surprised how often that's the issue. I'm not saying that is your issue. Perhaps you legitimately have been affected by a software update, but just as a troubleshooting step, take a lens cloth and wipe the lenses around your headset. Guy making this comment to explain that all apps and games on the Quest Store have DRM. It's called the entitlement check. It's required for your app to be accepted in the store. And that entitlement works offline, and virtual desktop has always had that. Because Oculus, and this is Gigodin continuing, because Oculus and virtual desktop servers had downtime issues in the early days, I added a local discovery fallback so that users could keep using the app when the Oculus servers, or mine, went down. And so that is what is now absent, right? That is the, the change. Yeah, so just to come back on who was asking about, sorry, Sexy Sexy Bicycle was asking about your controllers losing tracking. The one disadvantage of these controllers is that just because they are tracking just like a Quest 2 would, so if there isn't enough light or if there are two strong lights in your room that are completely drowning out the cameras, they're going to lose tracking in the same way the headset would. It would be very peculiar for the headset to not lose tracking, but the controllers to lose tracking. So I don't know if what, what would cause that. But... The other disadvantage of these controllers, obviously, is that there is a slight warm-up time where they need to sync their coordinate space with the headset. Other than those two disadvantages, though, these controllers are vastly better than the Quest 2's built-in controllers in so many aspects. The main one is that because they're self-tracking, you can bring them as close together as you like, and there's no longer this giant plastic that's mashing against each other. If you're playing a fast-paced shooter like Pavlov or Onward and you're reloading, that old frustration of accidentally cracking your controllers against each other just completely goes away. There's obviously also the fact that you can bring these completely behind your head or completely behind your body and they continue to maintain tracking. For some games, that's important. For others, people will never really notice that. The haptics are improved in that there is now 
a precise haptic motor under your index finger and under your thumb rest that are not present on the Quest 2 controller. And the haptic motor in the base of the handle is much higher fidelity than was what was available before. So it's a really big question to are these controllers really worth $300 on top of your Quest 2, which you probably got for $300 if you bought it you know, in, throughout most of its life cycle. For the majority of people, probably not. That's a lot of money for features that are nice, but not that nice that are literally $300. But if you're someone who really plays a lot of VR and you do run into these issues a lot, where you have those controllers bashing together, where you do kind of ha- lose tracking if you're in something like Echo Arena and your hand is way off to the side and your head is way off here, it's going to give you an advantage that you're just not going to get otherwise. C plays saying, if the Quest 3 comes with the LED ring, the controllers may be worth it to use on both systems. But yep, $300 is pricey. Let's see. Yeah, and Andrew saying, I'm super happy that you are concerned about privacy and security, Guy. All of us need to keep it a top priority. And I saw another comment talking about this, this concern about data farming on headsets compared to eye tracking, right? There's a lot of people that are very concerned about eye tracking. I think I saw the tweets even in my feed today showing the woman in red from the Matrix movies distracting, I think it's Neo, as he's walking by and then he goes face to face with an agent. And that's exactly the example I always think of when it comes to eye tracking. If you know what a person was looking at and what interests them, you can create a profile about them that is more detailed than anything that's ever happened before. And it's something we were going to have to keep returning to. But to Heaney's point, as he's brought up numerous times, the way microphone data, right? We've got all of these microphones. I've got three microphones on this headset alone, not to mention multiple microphones in my phone and every other device in my house. And the profiles that could be created from you from the microphone data is absurd. So I do think what's been great in recent years from both Android and iOS is that they now have a persistent indicator that shows you when your camera or microphone are being accessed. On one of the platforms, it's just a little green dot in the top right. That kind of thing, we're going to need to see similar solutions come to VR for people to really trust these headsets on scale. The problem is that there's no real elegant way to do that in VR. By default, if you're recording or casting in Quest, you see that red dot up in the corner of your view. But most people, or at least anyone who knows it, it can be turned off, will turn that off because it's so annoying. The problem is that there's going to be so many advantages to eye tracking, be that in social VR where you can make eye contact with people, or be it in a game where you can get this extra performance and resolution through foveated rendering, that it's going to be difficult to opt out of it. But to be clear, on both Quest Pro and on PlayStation VR, you can opt out of it. The problem is you're losing those advantages. Hmm. Are you ready to move on to the next subject, or are there any comments you want to respond to there, Heaney? Yeah, just artful bringing up what we talk about often on this show is that it's a big open question as to what type of controllers Quest 3 will have. Will it be a cheaper version of the Quest Pro controllers that use you know, one or two cameras, or will it be just a kind of more advanced version of the Quest 2 controllers that have maybe the slightly better haptics? I remain skeptical that you're going to see any of the kind of technology that you that is just being released in these three hundred dollar controllers that I'm holding right now, in a total package that's going to cost three hundred to five hundred dollars, including the headset. But we'll we'll see. It's possible that there is some sort of 
much cheaper chip on the horizon that they can use. And what I've, I've pointed out before is that it's also possible we'll see something that's kind of a hybrid of both. You could see like take a Quest 2 controller and add one camera so that when it's out of the view of the headset, it's still tracking, but in a much lower quality than before because you don't really care about exact tracking precision when your hand is way off behind your head. You just want to have some sort of basic six degree of freedom tracking continue. But yeah, and I'm seeing Gamertag saying I might try the Pro controllers, but I can't see people buying them. I know they'll be better, though, and they are awesome to the touch. Yeah, it's, it's echoing some of what Heaney was saying. It's my sort of take on it, too. But what I always come back to is people are paying hundreds of dollars for some people, of small percentage of people, are paying hundreds of dollars for the Vive trackers to have full body tracking. And these controllers can get you at least a better upper body. And it, that is a significant thing in my head. Um, I do think about this idea of the Quest 3, right? And what kind of controllers it has. Even though the Quest Pro has the charging pad, I put the Quest Pro in a travel case and tried to show it off to people at Thanksgiving. And it was dead when I pulled it out of the travel case after being charged right at the start. I wonder about the batteries on the controllers. Do you think we'll have removable batteries on Quest 3 or do you think they'll be the charging system? That's a great question. I think it depends on whether some of the leaks that show the Quest 3 optionally supporting a charging dock are true. I expect we'll probably see a Quest 3 have those charging pins on the bottom, but you'll have to separately get the dock. But that obviously opens up that big question about will the controllers come with some sort of mini charging dock? It's really just too speculative to know. But on on that thing about the Quest Pro, it's very important when you're transporting your Quest headset, be it a Quest 2 or a Quest Pro, that you turn it off completely before you put it in the case, and then it will keep whatever charge you had it on. As John Carmack has pointed out multiple times, Meta really needs to get better about how they handle these power states. The standby mode needs to drain so much less power than it does right now, because you set a Quest down in standby mode that's not on a charging dock or not connected via cable, and it will just drain at a rate that no tablet or smartphone does. And That's obviously a software issue that can be solved over time. They could have sort of more intelligent power states where after leaving the headset down for 30 minutes, it goes into kind of deep standby or something. But for now, before any of those solutions are arrived, if you want to transport your VR headset, turn it fully off first, not standby, fully off. There are accessories for Quest Pro, but I think it's going to be a little bit more limited than it was for Quest 2, given the smaller market but I know there are things in the works out there. Let's talk about PlayStation VR 2. So PlayStation VR 2 comes out in February, and you had to sign up, basically go through a registration process in order to get an email and a pre-order window. I went through that process and got my pre-order in place for this headset, but I know some other people out there were pretty frustrated at not receiving that email, even though they had gone through the steps to get one. Heaney, what has changed here? Yeah, so what's changed is that you no longer need an invitation. That entire system that Sony built up of requiring you to apply for an invite and then get an invite and then order within a certain amount of time of the invite is gone. And the weirdest part is that if you, even today, the last time I checked, which was earlier today, if you go through this system, of pre-ordering, which you just go onto the PlayStation Direct website now, no need for an invitation, you get the exact same delivery estimate window than if you had been at the one of the very first people invited to pre-order. So that opens up the question, 
what's happened here? Was this invite system just an artificial way to drum up induced demand or was demand lower than expected? Sony had reportedly estimated or had purportedly planned to produce 2 million units for the launch window of the first month of PlayStation VR 2. And reportedly, this comes from Bloomberg, expected it to have a much greater demand than PlayStation VR 1. But this was a few months before these pre-orders opened. So it does open up the uncomfortable question has that high price of $550 combined with the cost of living and inflation crisis that we're seeing across the whole West now led to demand for this headset simply being lower than possible, lower than expected. And also, you know, the obvious point is this is a major gaming hardware launching two months after Christmas. So people are going to, in many ways, be focusing their money, you know, their, their, at this time of inflation and cost of living crisis, they're uh, hard-earned, limited spending money on products that they can actually gift themselves or their family or their friends at Christmas, not two months later. And so if that is the case, I would expect that PlayStation VR 2 may have a kind of soft launch this year, but only really ramp up around next Christmas when people are actually giving this as a gift to their family or friends. Clay asking, what's the total cost of the console and VR2 combined? It is right around $1,000, right? Depending on whether you include tax or not. Yeah, just under about $950 excluding taxes. Alex VR is saying they're hyped for PSVR2. I think a lot of people are really hyped for PSVR2. And I think the story might change a little bit when people feel the adaptive triggers, the head haptics and see what the eye-tracked menu system and eye-tracking really provide for games, right? Things like what Horizon Call of the Mountain, when people actually get to play through that entire experience, you might start seeing a fair bit more hype for the PlayStation VR 2. But I do want to just mention that one comment from Zuckerberg sort of alluding to the idea that he doesn't think people are going to want wired experiences going forward, I think he said. Yeah, I agree with you about the haptics being something that's going to drive people into this. But the eye tracking, it's kind of one of those things that it's done well to the point where you don't notice it and that it enables foveated rendering. So in a second order way, eye tracking is important because the foveated rendering is going to bring games to this platform that otherwise wouldn't have been possible. We've heard developers say that they were only able to do this because of foveated rendering. But when it comes to things like menus, I tried this and it's really not impressive. And in fact, it's kind of annoying. You don't want to turn your eyes to look at a menu item. It's much faster to just rotate your wrist and click the trigger. Eye track menus are something that didn't really impress me at all. Maybe in multiplayer games, you'll see it be important. But for me, it's going to be this wide field of view, these high dynamic range OLED displays that just blow away any of the LCDs we've seen in VR in recent years. And obviously those advanced haptics. But again, it's all really going to come down to what games these enable. As I always say, the majority of people that buy gaming hardware don't know anything about the specs. They don't know about the speeds and feeds. They just care what are the end experiences they can create. What are the games that actually launch on PlayStation VR? For the launch window, you've got Horizon Call of the Mountain and Resident Evil 8. But what's going to make or break this headset success when it comes to next Christmas, when I think people will be buying it more than this Christmas, is... What are the games that release between then and next Christmas? What are the big titles that come out for PlayStation VR 2 in the summer and in the second half of the year next year? That's going to be 
be what really matters because it's really about the games when it comes to this platform. I, I want to bring up Dreams. Not a lot of people talk about Dreams, and that is an incredible platform. Some of the creations that people are pulling out of Dreams and putting together in Dreams is just mind-boggling compared to some of the stuff that's coming out of Horizon Worlds. It's not even the same ballpark, the kind of complexity and visual detail that I've seen coming out of that. I really wonder how far and how good it can be taken on PSVR 2. We've seen almost nothing said so far, and I do think that's an ace up the sleeve for Sony on this headset. So I would love to see some details there soon. Yeah, Dreams is a fascinating platform. It really just seems, had it been released on Steam, it would be so much bigger than it is today because the interface of PlayStation and using this on a controller has just completely starved that platform of the attention it deserves. Dreams is a technical masterpiece stuck on a games console. I love Heaney suggesting that Dreams should be on Steam. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there, Heaney. I'm not going to take the bait. I think there's a lot of opportunity to reach an incredible large audience with Dreams on additional platforms. Sexy Sexy Bicycle is saying that they're turned off, that PlayStation VR 2 is still using Fresnel lenses. We also have a few people asking about the picture quality and resolution. The thing I will say is I went hands-on with PlayStation VR 2. They are the best Fresnel lenses I've ever tried. They were great lenses. I would, If you are turned off by that, I don't think that's a reason not to get this headset. It's not as compact as the new generation of pancake lenses, but it felt wider field of view, and those high dynamic range OLED displays were just breathtaking in the likes of Resident Evil 8 and The Walking Dead Saints and Sinners. Jakey asking whether it was higher resolution than Pico 4 and Reverb G2. It's actually slightly lower resolution, but it's such a small difference that it really doesn't matter. And because the PlayStation 5 is actually driving a higher render resolution than the Pico 4's mobile processor, the visual experience you get on PlayStation VR 2 will completely blow away any standalone headset. My favorite movie at the moment is Dune. I'm kind of in love with that director, Blade Runner 2049 and Dune. They're just visually such satisfying movies to watch. The way every shot is framed and the colors are used is going to be incredible. And I think about what is going to be the first headset where I really enjoy watching a whole two-hour movie inside the headset. PSVR 2 is a candidate, and that is the movie I'm going to go to. One of those two movies is Dune or Blade Runner. And how does that look in something like PSVR 2 is going to be a real big question for me. So I think one of the issues with watching a movie in a headset like this is just the strap design, because you can't lean back in your seat and relax in the same way you can if you're wearing a Quest 2 with the default strap, or if you're wearing something like the N-Real glasses that don't touch the back of your head. You can never actually just properly lean back unencumbered with this. It's designed, first and foremost, for seated or standing gaming. It is not designed for that. The Quest 2 and Oculus Go are arguably the only real head mainstream headsets that were designed for that kind of use case because of their strap. And I still think your the resolution and the you know the lenses still aren't going to be quite up to par there, but I don't think we're too many years away from a headset that does give you that experience of this is actually preferable to sitting in front of a typical TV. 
Marcellus Wilson saying, I watched movies in DK1 and every headset since. And I've downloaded 3D movies from, was it Gear VR store, or Oculus Go store, where you had, but you did have 3D movies. You could download and watch them. And yeah, I've tried it on every headset, but you get about 20 minutes in and you start itching to get out on a lot of these headsets. And I want things like HDR and uh, Ultra HD in order to have that experience taken to the next level. And even like streaming services, right? That can be your bottleneck, right? If you don't have the proper bandwidth, you could do, you could have the best headset in the world and best HDR in the world, best display, and still get struck by that situation. That's why a lot of people are really anxious to find a solution for Quest that locally downloaded the movies and you could have a guarantee of having a high quality movie there. I am very excited for Avatar 2. I noticed people in the comments were there. I was just revisiting Avatar 1. And it's weird to think of what a cultural touchstone that was to come out in 2009. Everyone went and saw that. Some people went and saw that multiple times. And it came before meme culture really took off. And I was just laughing to myself when Jake Sully first gets into his avatar body and runs out the front door, runs out the door to run for the first time. I was picturing that as a cut to someone flying into their wall in a VR headset. That was one of those memes that never happened. It happened before meme culture. Love avatar so much because it's such an incredible vision for what VR does in a completely different way. And it happened before this resurgence of VR, just a couple years before. And I just can't wait to see what James Cameron takes viewers with Avatar 2. I'm seeing the early reviews really saying he hit it out of the park again. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if James Cameron does something in VR in the next decade or two. I'd love to see the kind of worlds and experiences that he would bring to this kind of medium. Just to go through a few questions here in the comments, Jakey asks, did you notice the HDR, high dynamic range, on PlayStation VR 2? Yes, absolutely. Shap asks, how bright is it? Pancake lenses block the majority of light, so Fresnels are much more efficient. It was very bright, and coming down to that sort of HDR aspect, you, it was really the differences between the darkness and the brightness that was so impressive on PlayStation VR 2. Jakey also asks, how was the field of view compared to Rift S? Noticeably wider. This thing, from what I felt, this has a wider field of view than almost any headset. It felt index-like in terms of the field of view. These are these are great and wide lenses on this thing. You know, it's a $550 headset and it does, you know, Sony really clearly has gone to, you know, put a, a lot of effort into using high-quality components here. Can, can uh, I ask you a technical question, Heaney, about Avatar before you get to another comment? Because I'm seeing just, people talk about the 3D there. Go ahead. Sure, just the last one I was going to just address was Paradise Decay was saying uh, that they think that the reason for the email invite was to give fans the option to get one before the scalpers. I appreciate that as an idea, but when you pre-order now, you still have to have an active PlayStation account. So do have the same limitation that would have prevented scalpers. I don't think that was the reason, but it's possible. Yeah, I'm loving the people going off on Avatar here in the comments. And what I did is I went back and reread Roger Ebert's review from 2009. And he talked about 3D in theaters having an issue with brightness. And is that solved in a VR headset, right? Do you not have that splitting of your brightness situation when you're in a VR headset? 
correct it's solved because that is that's to do with polarization of light when you're using those 3d glasses the brightness on this would be you know no less noticeable than using a television for example it's really only the mm -hmm. pancake headsets that are out now that have brightness issues this is as the commenters are pointing out using a oled that is getting power through a USB-C cable so it's not relying on battery it doesn't have to lower the brightness for a battery and using those fresnel lenses that are almost perfectly efficient when it comes to brightness <laughs> clay saying the last 3d movie i saw was jaws with the red blue glasses yeah and other people saying i stood right in front of the tv and your mom saying avatar was the only reason i bought a 3d tv in a blu-ray drive if that is that full circle thing that i was trying to get to there where like uh 3D TVs and 3D movies very largely died. And you'll see even a decade later, a lot of the reviews comparing VR to 3D. It's an unfortunate thing that sort of just still haunts the VR community and VR hardware having that comparison. But I can't wait to try out something like Avatar 2 and a headset like this and see yeah. how far yeah. it takes it. You're getting real 3D from a VR headset like this. If anyone has ever tried watching a 3D movie on a VR headset, it is a noticeably better experience than using those silly polarized glasses that people simply don't want to wear because it gives you eye strain. As you mentioned, it's darker and it costs more. I don't see 3D TV coming back or being a major thing in cinema anytime soon again, but... It will be really interesting to see as VR gets more popular and as AR glasses emerge in the coming decade, will 3D movies become a thing again in a home format rather than at the cinema? I did see a question up earlier of whether I had seen the Avatar ride, I think in Florida, Flight of Passage. No, I haven't been able to see that Animal Kingdom ride. I have heard it is one of the best rides in the world, and I definitely want to see that at some point. Any other comments we should respond to? Your mom.com pointing out that NVIDIA hasn't updated 3D vision drivers for VR headsets to play regular PC titles. That is a blast from the past. Remember, NVIDIA had that whole system and hardware for playing so many different PC games in 3D, and that obviously is just kind of lost to the sands of time. It would be fascinating to see if they could somehow revive that to play in a virtual desktop-style experience on a PC. I'm also recalling, I just it just struck me, all the people complaining about motion sickness back when Avatar came out, right? Going to see it in 3D, in 3D on a super wide field of view screen, the giant size screen. And a lot of people forget that that happened. We're over a decade out from it happening, but it was a whole thing. It affected a lot of people. Even motion sickness in normal non-VR first-person shooters was a major issue. Any situation where a significant portion of your field of view is taken up by fast-moving motion can affect people who aren't used to that. We've got our best of VR 2022 selections coming up soon, and I'll be talking about the best virtual places as well. We've got decisions to make and discussion to have to make those selections of what was the best stuff to release this year. Heaney, I've got a spreadsheet I want you to look at so that we can get your input on those things. And yeah, starting to think about VR as a place people can go and the best places you can go is something we really need to recognize. Any last comments there, Heaney? 
No, I think people are just discussing what was being discussed before. Cool discussion. I appreciated everyone for tuning in. We will be back as we can. We are all going on vacation at various times in the coming days and weeks. Thank you, Heaney, for joining us despite fighting off illness. And everyone stay safe out there. There is a lot of illness going around. Stay safe. Take care of yourself as we move out to the end of the year. Thank you so much. We'll see you in the future. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us.